Yes, welcome to the Cannabis Connection. I'm Christopher Carr. Thank you for joining us on another edition of Santa Cruz Cannabis Talk Radio. Hope you had a, a beautiful week and are doing well and happy belated St. Patrick's Day. Our guest this evening, Dr. Dale Hunt, is a plant scientist, a cannabis lawyer and registered U.S. patent attorney with over 25 years of experience. He has degrees in botany, genetics, molecular and cellular biology, and law. He graduated from Berkeley Law in 1996 and was a partner in national law firms before founding Plant and and Planet Law Firm in 2019. He's also the founder and CEO of Breeders Best, a company created to help independent plant breeders protect and license their genetics to benefit cannabis patients and users worldwide. Very excited for the show. We've been putting this together over the past few weeks. So welcome, Dale, to the Cannabis Connection. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yes, thank you. And can you tell our audience, where in the world are you joining us this evening? Well, I'm actually in Ogden, Utah, not far from where I grew up, um, visiting my mother this weekend. And I drove up from San Diego um, well, part of the way yesterday and part of the way today. Excellent. So I live in San Diego. Yeah. Very cool. Can you speak to that your your upbringing? How did you find this this <laughs> <laughs> this love for botany and in in the plants and this this relationship with the flora? Well, it's um it's it's an interesting story, I guess. Um, I was always a little bit of a science geek, but I I was interested in physics and chemistry, and I was a physics major in college. And there was one semester, I guess maybe three semesters into my bachelor's degree, that I just needed to have a class that fit my schedule and checked a box. And so I signed up for a botany class without any real expectations that it would do anything. And I was so fascinated by it. I, I had never had any biology at all, and I was I just was amazed how cool it was, um, the whole concept of, the way plants evolved and the way they worked and everything. And after about three sessions, I changed my major to botany and never looked back. And I had no plan with for what I would do with it. I was just too fascinated by it to not follow it. So that was the beginning of what turned into 12 years and three degrees of studying plant science before I went to law school. Yeah, no, fascinating. And, and can you speak to cannabis and how this plant came into your life? And that, you know, that's definitely a, a calling. You know, many are called, chosen are a few, and, and this is a, a fascinating space. And I can imagine um, looking at the team at Breeders Best, um, some of our, our favorite uh, MDs and, and authors like Robert Clark um, is kind of an all-star lineup here and. Would love to hear your your history. I'm familiar with Robert Clark and Ethan Russo, but would love to hear your your relationship with cannabis and how that came around to, to this work you're doing. Very important work. It is tremendously important work. And again, I, I came at it kind of from a different angle. Um, I uh, you know I mentioned I'm here in Utah visiting family. I was raised Mormon. I grew up here in Utah, and I the closest I came to cannabis in my youth was uh, my best friend from high school was a very avid user, and um, uh, we we hung out a lot, so I was around it, but I never used it. Um, much later in life, I uh, changed my my thinking about religion and, and was a lot more open to uh, the things that, that Mormonism didn't really accept. Um, and about that time, I was, and, and let me just say, by that time, I had been a practicing attorney for many years, and because of my uh, background in plant science, I had as, a, as a, an important part of my practice the opportunity to work with a lot of different plant breeders. But this was in really in things like chrysanthemums and grapes and blueberries. and and uh, But in that process, I learned about protecting uh, the, the inventions of plant breeders, which is really the ultimate, you know, when, when you do a lot, a long course of plant breeding and you come up with something that's really special, uh, that constitutes an invention, and it can be protected by a patent in the U.S. and by something that's like a patent called a plant breeder's right in many other places in the world. So, by the time uh, by the time I came into contact with with cannabis as a as 
something I would work with and become fascinated by. I had already worked with, like I said, plant breeders in lots of other fields uh, for a long time, and I really knew how to protect um, the work of plant breeders. I had done it in probably 30 countries uh, by then. So I was just kind of minding my own business in my office in San Francisco, and someone reached out to me and said, we're looking for somebody who really knows plant intellectual property to advise us um, on uh, this was you may have heard of the open cannabis project and I was asked to work with the open cannabis project and that was the real my, the beginning of my uh, exposure to cannabis I started going to meetings and um, and learning a lot about the, you know at the time I have to admit I didn't even know I had never heard of CBD that's how <laughs> That's you were pretty of, green. <laughs> you were green really in the green, green rush. <laughs> exactly. But I, I was in it. Yeah, I kept running into really interesting people. You know, you meet the best people in this community. Um, and I, I, ran, I ran into so many people that said that this problem or that problem that they had or this, you know, a brain injury or a chronic disease, they'd all been um, really miraculously treated with cannabinoids and especially with CBD at the time, that was the story I kept hearing. And as a scientist, I was interested but really kind of skeptical. I was thinking, how in the world could one molecule address so many different diseases? And then I, had, I, I came across a paper by Ethan Russo that was on the topic of chronic endocannabinoid deficiency and how that throws off the body's um, homeostasis, which is just the self-regulation of keeping things normal the way they're supposed to be, and that when our bodies stop making our own endocannabinoids uh, and we have a deficiency, lots of lots of systems in the body can can get messed up, and in different individuals it can be different systems. So when you if you give the body back a good replacement for an endocannabinoid like CBD then it restores homeostasis and restores all the, in many cases at least, the, the normal functions that had been out of whack. So when I read this paper, I was like, oh, okay, this explains it. It makes perfect sense. And in that moment, I kind of became an Ethan Russo group, groupie. I just yeah. I wanted to meet the guy and tell him that I was a fan. Um, and I just I have to pause here for a second and say I tend to give long answers to simple questions so i hope that's okay but you're doing I'm great doing this, this is no you're doing a right. fantastic job because it's important <laughs> ethan russo for me as well i was a groupie i was a groupie he really helped uh, it, uh working with patients in santa cruz we have such a long legacy of the medical movement and i still today work in compassion programs through sb34 and continuing the legacy of the corrals and wham and uh, this this long time, long, 30 years uh, serving sick patients and developing the vernacular and the language to be better stewards of the plant, but also of the community, of the people. And some of those key papers and the key findings and doing that work and, and also the work of Raphael Meshulam and all these other mm -hmm. researchers all over the world. But I, I, I've always been a, a, a very uh, a, a Russo groupie just like you. I think it's really important to kind of emphasize this because it really helped elevate the conversation. And, and I feel like in many ways it's kind of set you on a really interesting path. It's been, it's been an amazing, thrilling path to, to become involved in this the way I have. So, to, to kind of come back to the story, I, I became a Russo groupie like many others. I was I was going to be on a panel with some other people from the Open Cannabis Project. Uh, I was going to be on a panel about um, plant uh, intellectual property and open source and things like that at Emerald Cup uh, quite a few years ago. And what I noticed was that Ethan was going to be one of the speakers, and and I so I was kind of excited. I was excited to be on the panel, but I was much more excited about just the opportunity to possibly meet him. So my whole goal there was just to shake his hand, tell him I was a big fan, and, you know, just introduce myself. So I'm coming off the stage after my panel was over, and Ethan's longtime business partner and colleague, Nisha Whiteley, just kind of approached me and said, hey, I work with Ethan, Ethan Russo, and we're looking for somebody like you. Would you have dinner with us? So imagine, wow. <laughs> imagine the shock. 
it's like you're you're kind of sneaking into the back row of the Stones concert, and somebody grabs you and says, "Hey, Mick wants to meet you." Mick Jagger wants to have dinner with you. Can I take you to dinner? (laughs) (laughs) So I was just I was in absolute shock. But we we had dinner. We we really connected. Um, You know, he's a geek. I'm a geek. I I cannot claim to um, have any of the of the bona fides that he has in in cannabis, but I learn from him and I and I really admire his work and, and his ethics. He's just a great person. So and it, it just at that time I had had a, a few conversations with some independent plant breeders. And you know, these are people who've worked for decades to come up with some really great strains, which some we, we call them cultivars or varieties, but I'm you know I'm I'm equally fine with any of those terms. But they had said, you know, I've, I've got some great strains and I'm afraid somebody's going to rip them off if I put them out there. But I want them to, they're great. They're going to help people. I want to put them out there. But I, I've heard that you help people with patenting genetics and can you help me? So of course the answer was, yeah, I'd love to help you. That's kind of why I started my firm and that's what I do. And, um, and then, you know, it would be after a while, it'd become pretty clear that they really weren't in a position, many of them at least, to pay for patenting, and they didn't really have um, either. Either they didn't really want to have to start a business, or they just didn't have the business experience or connections to take some patent rights and turn them into revenue. And I was thinking, gee, I, I wish I could help you, but I, I, I'm just started. I started my own firm. I don't have tons of spare capacity to just do this at no charge. Um, and I got this idea that maybe there would be a sponsor I could find who would um, help the, the breeder and then share in the benefits. And I asked one breeder if, he, if he'd be interested in that. He said, absolutely, I just want to get this moving. And um, I didn't find a sponsor right away, but what I did come up with was an idea that now that this, is, this is something that people are recognizing, and so Breeders Best isn't the only one that does it, but we think we have a really special team to do this. And the idea was, if you think of a plant breeder as a creative person who, who just puts out great creative work, much like a music, uh, either a, a songwriter or a singer, they're a creative person that puts out this great work. But they don't want to be in the business of production and advertising and legal work and concert promotion. They just, they're just a creative person that wants to focus on their creative work. And so... In, in the music industry, there exist companies that take the creative work and help to bring it to the world, and then the music company and the creative artist benefit from that. And I thought, I wonder if we could have a, a model that would be like that in cannabis so that people can just focus on breeding plants and they don't have to become business people if they don't want to. Um, and there could be other people that do everything else, and then the benefits of all that get shared. Uh so I I just had this idea and I ran it past Ethan and, and Nisha and they were excited about it. They they thought it really needed to happen. I talked to a few other people in the industry that I knew by then and they all thought it needed to happen and that's why we started Breeders Best. And then um, Ethan wanted to be part of it uh, eventually and uh, I was thrilled that he wanted to be part of it. He recommended that I meet and get to know Rob Clark and Rob and his longtime uh, colleague and business partner Mojave Richmond were very interested and, and we found a way for them to be part of it. So yeah, you talk about an all-star team and I, <laughs> it's, it's really special to me. It's an affirmation that it is an idea and a, a an opportunity to help people that is really worth pursuing. So our goal is to just take the work of independent plant breeders, protect it and put it out there for the world in a way that, that, um, that makes it makes the uh, genetics maximally accessible to patients and and other people who enjoy the plant, and that will generate some revenues for the breeders and for the company. So, now one thing I, I always try to point out: the diff, one big difference between us and the typical music label is the music label ends up owning all the copyrights, and they usually end up in some kind of a dispute with. Well, not usually, but many times they end up in a dispute with the artist. We recognized that and made a decision very early on that we are not going to own the patents. The patents will always be, even though my law firm gets the patents the, and, and Breeders Best pays for the patents, the breeders will always own the patents unless they choose to assign them to somebody else, and that's 
that's up to them. But uh, and then we just share the we we go out and get revenues and then we share them with the breeder as their exclusive licensee. So that's <laughs> that's a long answer to a simple question. But that's how I got to know Ethan and Rob and and started the company. It's a really timely thing you're doing. This is something when there was this out this outrage with the phylos scenario where everybody was contributing samples and, and, and building this galaxy, the phylos galaxy. We've had, we had Malgu Holmes on, on the show years ago when, when there was so much interest and hope around this, this openness and, and, and getting this data and building this galaxy. It was just like a really stimulating display. But then there was the, the the talk he gave for investors and, and, and potentially co-opting genetics. I, I don't know. I'm not privy to the details of what happened there. I just remember as a community, there was this outcry for how does one protect the intellectual property, the work. Like, I love the analogy you provide because I, I, I play music and we've been working in the entertainment space as well for as long as I've been in the cannabis space, maybe a little bit longer and it's it's really important to protect your 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 work and to copyright and and publish and and make sure things are are done properly, um, especially if you're an independent group uh, without a lot of backing. Um, you know that that creative work is really what what you can live off of and and tour with and and build the the name and and, and feed the family. But can you just add a at a you know ten thousand uh, foot view, explain how does one uh, protect the, that creative? So that these plant breeders are these creative individuals, and they are. In, you mentioned inventions, right? They're, in some ways, they are putting that creative work and, and creating something that is uh, new and unique um, and special, especially when it comes to the cannabinoid profiles, the terpene profiles. We're in this space now with more research from MDs like Ethan Russo, uh, learning how full-spectrum cannabinoid treatments in uh, terpenes especially provide that entourage effect. That was something Ethan Russo helped coin and elevated our conversation, and, and we're seeing amazing work in in uh, for I guess one example is that major shift with Charlotte Figgy and Sanjay Gupta on CNN, and that kind of turned the, the the public perception of cannabis plant breeders and growers and stakeholders in the cannabis space to 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 what we're really still dedicated to, which is healing and building a community around compassionate access and use to p- provide relief to patients, which was the whole foundation of, of Prop 215 and the medical movement here in the Bay Area and especially Santa Cruz and, and the work of Val Corral and Wham and you know co-authoring Prop 215. What I'd love to learn is a basic understanding of how Breeders Best goes about establishing that protection and how does because I we're we're on a live stream right now on 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 Instagram in the studio, and I'm seeing a lot of breeders tune in. Um, and 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 I've I'm I'm very curious on just the basic overview there to help educate and elevate the awareness for the breeders listening and the growers listening. And I think the public want to learn because cannabis is such a, a unique new space, new industry, and it was and still is in many ways in its infancy and it's it's still a wild west um i would yeah. love to hear your thoughts on this because i know this is your wheelhouse and in sometimes just defining the terms of intellectual property and inventions and and how to help plant breeders these creatives i think it's a wonderful analogy it's really well said i appreciate that i'm going to try to keep this answer succinct but it's challenging because it is a, it is kind of a complicated area of the law and just in case it um, it bogs down or I don't touch on everything. I will mention I have a blog at plantlaw.com, just like it sounds, plantlaw.com, um, that answers a lot of questions about intellectual property and other things around uh, plant breeding and protection of plant IP. Uh, so if I you know if I leave anything out or anyone's curious, they can go to the blog and and um, they there might be some good answers in there as well. But 
one of the really important things you mentioned copyright and one of the really kind of frustrating things but we've kind of got a, a solution to it is that almost all the other kinds of creative work you think of whether it's photography making a movie making a song writing a book whatever are, they're all protectable by copyright but you can't protect a plant variety by copyright congress kind of recognized that there was this important agriculturally and economically important work being done by plant breeders as far back as the 30s the 1930s that didn't really fit into the typical the usual patent system and certainly didn't fit into the copyright system so they passed something called the plant patent statute that defined a plant variety if it was asexually propagated which just means cloned like we're all familiar with cloning in, in cannabis if it was clonally propagated it could be protected um uh, via a plant patent and it's a relatively straightforward kind of protection um, I've been doing plant patents for 26 years now almost and um, I'm happy to say we've never had one that was not successful every single one we've applied for unless the, the client later changed their mind about pursuing it every single one we've ever applied for has gotten has been granted except for the ones that are still under examination but so it's it's a very straightforward way of protecting it is a lot like a copyright because it um it only protects direct copying so if you make clones of something that is patented under a plant patent that's an infringement but if you breed with it or if you uh, make seeds from it that's not a, an infringement so you know it was great for grapevines and plum trees and things like that because people aren't going to be trying to breed with those or make make seeds from them but it's really only limited in its effectiveness for, for cannabis. And that's because, as we all know, there's a lot you can do with cannabis besides just cloning it. Um, in many cases, it can be, it's, it's seed propagated. In many cases, something that's really valuable about a particular strain or variety is just that it's a great starting point to breed other things that have interesting cannabinoid profiles. So the plant patent is it's, it's good, but it's limited. Um, there's another approach available in the U.S. Um, called the utility patent and utility patents can be really broad or they can also be pretty narrow depending on how you claim the invention and what we highly recommend in cannabis is to have what we call a variety specific utility patent and that just means that all of the claims in the utility patent are limited to uh, kind of the, the genetics that are exemplified by by seed or tissue that is deposited um, under the patent rules so basically you make a seed deposit um, you say this is my variety represented by this seed deposit and then you can claim it more broadly than a utility than a plant patent because you can claim uh, breeding with this variety you can claim progeny of this variety you can claim seeds from this variety uh, a lot of things like that and it, it, in many cases the examiners like to see it defined in some terms uh, with reference to a COA or something like that and so in many cases it does boil down to um, it, it's really I, I'd say the patentability comes from the fact that it's an original uh, production of, of a cross and selection and that means we all know that if you do a cross you've already created a unique individual that's never existed before and then as you select that or do further crossing to get it really stable you've done creative work and that is worthy of a patent so it's relatively straightforward again to get those kinds of patents but in many cases the examiners do want you to define it in terms of the, the seed deposit and also in terms of the cannabinoid profile and, and the terpenes and so on so that's a broader form of protection that fits better with uh, with cannabis and then around the rest of the world there's something called plant breeders rights that um, it is it's kind of it's more stronger than a plant patent not as strong as it as a variety specific utility patent but it's uh, it's it's useful and it's something that again we've done for lots of other kinds of plants around the world for a long time so the world is wide open for protecting cannabis intellectual property and one of the blog posts I have is you know what does it take to be new enough for patenting and the answer is if you did that work if you did that cross and that selection it's already new enough for patent and unique enough for patenting the real question is is it worth patenting and um, the, the, if you think about it this way I always tell people look if you think that the demand for this is going to be going up in five or ten years instead of 
kind of fading off, then that's something you're going to wish you had a patent on. If it's kind of the flavor of the month and it's going to come and go, be it'll be, be cool but superseded by other things pretty soon, it's definitely not worth patenting because by the time you get the patent and spend the money, it might already be out of style or out of, out of demand, and um, you're not likely to recoup the investment. So, um, And I'll just mention, because people always ask this, the average price for a plant patent start to finish, everything you pay is usually somewhere between about $11,000 and $15,000 start to finish. Average price for a variety-specific utility patent is almost always right in the ballpark of twice that, 22 to 30 start to finish. And the upfront cost is about half of that, and then you pay the rest as you go through the examination process and you have to uh, respond to uh, issues that the, the patent examiner raises. So I'll stop there and see if, what, what kinds of questions I've, I've uh, created in your mind in, in giving that answer. Yes, that's 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 so it's fascinating. I appreciate the, the the little numbers there too, because that does make sense. And and the the FAQ of of what's worth patenting in the cannabis too. There's a lot of um, hype and you know flavors of the month. I think you're so right there. And it, every breeder thinks their their stuff is. Every grower thinks their cannabis is the best weed in the world. Every breeder thinks their their gear is is going to change the you know we we all have such high hopes, um, but as we do more research and we're getting deeper into the science and the data and the and the medical empirical data collection and understanding this 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 genome right this cannabis genome is so vast. There's quite a lot of opportunity. There's there's just the we're on the precipice of the iceberg of understanding and there's so much beneath the surface of the water that that could be explored that we're finally as a result of the unraveling of the drug war and the ending of prohibition across many states and hopefully national nationwide and we have neighbors in in the north that are are totally open canada is completely legal and 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 of course groups all over the world are, are pursuing this this research um i would love to learn um you mentioned the the patent the patent like the, when you produce this patent how does one enforce it what is the benefits of having this patent because we are finding new cultivars in our community for example that pink boost goddess by emerald spirit botanicals and that high thcv potency and we are uh-huh. just learning about the benefits of thcv there are other cannabinoids, too, that we're finding in the hemp space, and that's the other thing I want to share with the audience. Breeder's Best is, is for all cannabis, that, that big C, which includes the, the, the hemp piece, too, because we, we are finding uh, – I know there's a, a great group of breeders in Oregon CBD up, up in Oregon that have these – they were some of the first people I f- could find with – and I think Seth was on – many panels similar to the panels you did and when you met Ethan Russo at these like large events and, and talks, uh, CBG and these, and these other different cannabinoids that we're still learning about and, and getting to develop the, the research behind. And I imagine those are the types of kind of case study example varieties that, that you want to maybe consider pursuing that patent because we are going to see more formulations, especially imagine some of those early CBD. I imagine that was part of your work. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, case study groups and what kind of what kind of uh, groups are pursuing a patent and when they do achieve success, what what protections like how is how are these things enforced? How does it work? Just to help provide that foundation of understanding to the audience. That last bit was really helpful about the cost and and how utility is different from the plant patent and then of course the plant breeders rights and there's an international piece to this too which is pretty fascinating yeah and uh, you know this is what i do and i get excited about it um so i'm going to start by saying and there's so many different things i want to start with but i'll start by saying i love that you brought up pink boost goddess that is um one of the varieties that we're working with at breeders best we're so excited to be working with Emerald Spirit Botanicals. They're just wonderful people. It's, it, we're just flattered that they were willing and wanted to work with us, and we loved working with them. And um, there's lots of demand for that. It's a really special variety in terms of uh, how it grows and um, 
uh, it's THCV production and so many things, and we're seeing tremendous demand for that. And that's one of those, I would say, yeah, the demand is going to be strong. And so we filed a, a provisional patent application on that. My firm did. Um, and uh, that's owned by Emerald Spirit Botanicals. And uh, we're so we are, as is part of our normal process at Breeders' Best, when we begin to work with something, as soon as we um, – as soon as it, it changes hands um, uh, from a breeder to a nursery or from a nursery to a grower, we want to make sure that there's a patent application in place. And that way, you know, there's there are people who work really hard to make sure that plants don't escape from their operation, but there's there's no such thing as perfect security. And if you tried to have perfect security, you would price yourself right out of business because it's just too expensive to be anywhere close to perfect. And so, you just kind of have to accept as you get into produ- producing a plant in the kinds of volumes that a, a really great variety is going to demand, there is going to be some leakage, and there are going to be some people who are growing it without permission. So that's why you get a patent. And the, what you can do with a patent, let's suppose we find that somebody is um, putting something out there that looks a lot like pink buscatus or like some other variety that has a patent on it. First thing you do is you just you, you get a sample. And um, you do a DNA test, and you do a side-by-side DNA test between the sample and the patented variety. And um, DNA testing has gotten so good that it's just not going to – there's not going to be a lot of ambiguity. Either these are the same or they're not the same. And if they're not the same, it'll, you'll still be able to tell whether the, one of them descended from the other. So, you know, it might have been that somebody used it without authorization for breeding, or maybe they just are, are cloning it. And in either case, the evidence is going to be so clear that these kinds of cases, it, it wouldn't make any sense for anyone to take it to trial. Basically, I'll, I'll give you a quick a quick story from uh, patent enforcement in, a, in another country many years ago. I had a client that that um, was making table grapes, and they had a great grape that we had patented in lots of different countries. And um, they found that there was a country they'd never done business in where a great, an awful lot like theirs was being produced. So um, we got a sample, did a DNA test, tested that against the patented variety. Um, I worked with a, a, a great genetics expert in Australia who was able to say, yeah, this is, this is the kind of match that we had to do some, some statistical analysis about the frequency of all the different markers that were in the DNA test. But the, the, the expert was able to say, this is the kind of thing that there's, a 99.999, some long number string string of nines, percent chance that this that the, you get these results because this is a copy of this one. And in other words, there, there's a way high confidence level, higher than any any court is ever going to need as evidence that this is a copy of this other one. And on that basis, because we had that expert declaration, we had the rock solid DNA evidence. We were able to take that to a judge in this foreign country, and he was able to issue an order that allowed um, the local equivalent of the marshals to seize the records of that company that was growing without authorization. And the good news, the good, I think the happy ending to the story is they didn't put them out of business. They didn't rip the, the, the grapes out of the ground. They just they just got them to come correct, and they and all those grapes became licensed grapes. There was a nice payoff for my client that had spent literally decades developing this variety and spent a lot of money protecting it. And so that, that grape became really well accessible to a lot of, a lot of people who wanted to enjoy it, but it helped the people who had spent so much time and effort originating it to get paid for it. And so it's very much the same thing in, in cannabis. If we see uh, something that looks an awful lot like a variety that is protected and is valuable and special, a DNA, a quick DNA test is going to tell us either, oh, it's it's just one of those crazy coincidences. These aren't related; they just look a lot alike. In which case, you say, all right, well, that's that's the life and that's competition. But if the DNA test tells you that they're the same, then you just say, okay, let's talk about making you guys legitimate users of this variety, or let's get you to take it out. And if if anybody were really stubborn, the patent law does allow. It, it, and I'm, I don't like to see people litigate, but if, if you have somebody who just refused to be um, ethical or, or correct about paying their, their fair share or paying their dues, 
the patent law does permit you to get tri triple the damages that are done if, from a, somebody who's an intentionally infringing a patent. So if somebody just rips you off, they're going and making money, and it's hurting you, you can get um, a 3x award. It's not, it's not always automatically 3x, but that's, that's the upper limit. And so there's a real strong policy to make it uh, unattractive to infringe a, a plant patent. So I'll stop there and see if, see if you have any other questions. Yeah, that's that's super helpful. So the the so the three x reward uh, or essentially like um, penance, right, for the damages. That's the hopefully the 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 it'll discourage someone from infringing on on the protections and by protecting things you're enabling for example pink boost goddess and having that patent application filed and in that that process in motion they can feel confident now working with nurseries potentially bringing this very special flower this this cultivar that has this high potency of a rare minor cannabinoid that could do a lot of good for a lot of people and 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 of course the demand is way bigger than this beautiful family farm can do, right? The, the right. You, you know they're very they're very, I think they're ten thousand. They're very small mom and pop operator that have developed and and done this. I love this like creative work. They're like these, you know, the songwriters curating the the. the the chemovar and, and and the cannabinoid profile and a lot of it too is nature. A lot of it is the the the, the selection and and the, that intuitiveness. Like you said, they're creative individuals putting it in their heart, leading a, a lot of breeders I speak to. You're you're so right. It is almost like um you know it's a it's a almost a divine um inspiration that they can read the males as well as the females. These these two sexes of the cannabis genome are very interesting, and you can select what male for what female and then of course when we as we have testing and certificates of analysis we can find and select for certain chemovars or, or profiles of, of the chemistry and so this pink boost goddess not only is an award-winning flower just in and of itself for the the aesthetics the synesthesia that you can experience from imbibing the the, the profile but also this beautiful pro, this this colorful flower um, it, it grows really rigorously and vigorously. It does so well in, in a sun-grown environment. That's how it was raised. And then it has this, this, this really impressive potency of, of THCV, which a lot of people have a lot of hopes for, um, for all kinds of interesting findings. One is it can mitigate metabolism it can help you feel it's the opposite of the munchies is what i've heard and read and and also talking yes. with joseph is the clarity there's this um you don't have the high that's associated with thc you feel all cannabinoids stimulate the endogenous cannabinoid system so you feel the shift you feel like okay i i, I am experiencing cannabis here but it's it's a there's a clarity piece to it um, and it's feeding the endogenous system. It's stimulating the body in a very healthy way, a positive way. We need to keep that system stimulated and fed. After 80 years of prohibition, a lot of us have the, the deficiencies, and that's what you were talking about earlier with Dr. Ethan Russo's paper. And, and so, just it's it's just really exciting to hear that uh, process because this is this opens up the doors for these mom and pops to feel free to actually start growing these things at scale, yet they still can reap the benefits of all of that work they put into it. And a lot of this is still, I have many breeders that are from Santa Cruz that I know they have rare, rare, special varieties, but they hoard them uh, because of this worry that of leakage. And it does happen. And there's all of these, it, uh, it happens all the time. This is such a funny, like the first blue dream and then everyone had it. And then the first Girl Scout cookies and then everybody had it. Everyone tries to like keep something under lock and key. It always gets out. And so this conversation is, is really, uh, is, it's so timely and it's, it's encouraging because this is, um, you know, you don't have Mick Jagger go 
do the business side of the Rolling Stones. That's the whole label piece. And so you're this complement to all of these creatives that just don't understand. And it's kind of a daunting process to, because the, their, their heart and their soul and their talents and, and workflow is, is in the garden, right? Working with the plants, working directly, uh, in communion with, with Ganjama, with the cannabis spirit and, and pursuing these interesting selections that lead to these high THCV pink boost goddess winner of the Emerald Cup. That's just, um, that's where we want them to be. Keep the, the creative Mick Jagger on stage playing with the Rolling Stones. And, and, and it's not that daunting for, so if, if there's breeders listening or a lot of yardeners or mom and pop pollen chuckers, um, you know, this blog that you spoke of and the, the website is breedersbest.com. But if, if, and especially if you're a business operator, um, which a lot of these farmers are their own sole proprietor businesses or their, their small incorporated LLCs and, uh, it's worthwhile to, to have these protections, especially when something blows up like Pink Boost Goddess in, in the best way possible. It wins an award. It gets a lot of coverage. A lot of, uh, a lot of people start engaging with emerald spirit botanicals and now i remember i had breakfast with joseph this is how i found out about breeders best in, in you dale we were at breakfast at uh, cafe brazil in, in, on mission street in santa cruz he was in between on a road trip coming up from down south heading towards oakland and so we we caught breakfast and he's you know he has demands with extractors that he'll never fill, right? There's just like he would have to grow 25 acres of just pink boost goddess to meet the demand of of, of one particular client. Uh, so this is a, a major game changer to open the door to protect their work, so that he can work with nurseries and and potentially bring those cuttings here to Santa Cruz. There's there's an opportunity there, to, and to help groups, legacy groups like Wham, bring these medicinal flowers to all the patients and members we still serve through SB 34 compassion programs. And, and I commend you on that work. Uh, it, 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 what would, a, what would a, somebody that is holding some special things, they, they know are special, not just the flavor of the month, but something that could be, for example, some of these land race varietals um, have these rare because it's not hybridized, it's not quite as um, I think of it of like colors, right? And it's like the rare chartreuses in the Crayola big box. You know, it's not just the primary cookies, variety, you know, these poly hybrids that are kind of muddying the waters of of all these rare profiles. I find a lot of these interesting land race varieties from all over the world have special properties in them, and the market is is kind of there's a lot of uh, there's a lack of variety in the marketplace as far as genetic diversity, but I know for example a lot of farmers and growers and, and especially the legacy uh, o- older OGs in this space um, and and ladies in the space like Katie Jean you know they have these kind of interesting varieties and they don't want to let them out sometimes they don't even plant them because they're so special but then the viability and the the fertility in the seed as it ages it becomes less because they're scared they're worried of it getting out and they're worried about you know those lines being co-opted by corporate greed and cannabis and just losing their their little contribution to the community where would one start or how would they engage with educating themselves and of course you know the the website is breedersbest.com but you know just your your personal thoughts and opinions of how to initiate protecting your work. Yeah. Well, and there's so many things I want to say. It's been such a good conversation. Um, one thing I want to say before I forget is that we are, we're so proud to work with Emerald Spirit Botanicals and we're, we're so proud. To, we, we work with some other really tremendous breeders and I don't want to start naming them because I would, fear that I'd leave somebody out, but we're so excited about the breeders that we get to work with. And we are um, about a week away from having our catalog ready to go that has um, the varieties that are exclusively licensed to Breeders Best as well as some other varieties that 
Dr. Russo likes and is kind of endorsing, uh, well, that Reader's Best is endorsing as things that someone might want to look at and uh, and grow. So we're excited about the catalog. And um, anyone who wa- who has something that they think is special, we have a, a submission uh, button on our website. Uh, I think if you follow the path, there's something about if you're a breeder, click here. And then there's a, a place that you can submit your variety, and it's all it's all treated confidentially. Obviously, you're not submitting any any. We don't take we don't touch the plant ourselves, so you're not submitting anything that's going to let is going to make it so you lose control of the of the variety. But we like to get some pictures and a COA and a description of how you made it and what it does, what makes it special. And then in our weekly calls with um, with the team, we look at each submission and, and identify the ones that we think we could really do something great with. And so um, we, we would love to get more submissions for more breeders and help as many breeders as possible to succeed. Um, the other thing, I, 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 I had a question once that I, I just love this question. I think it goes to something that a lot of people wonder. Um, when you're patenting things, doesn't that limit the access and doesn't that kind of put a, a chokehold on, on um, access and on price and everything? And in my opinion, that may be the case for a pharmaceutical or something. It's not the case for plant genetics. Because as you've mentioned, as you pointed out really well, you, you've got something special that the world needs and you want to share it. But you, if you share it without any protection, you're going to lose control of it. So you sit on it. And, and that is what limits access. When you've got a way to put it out there on lots of farms and maybe all over the world in, you know, when, when that becomes more possible with legislation around the world, you can put this all over the world and not lose control of it. And um, that is – so in this way, this kind of – this form of protection actually enhances access. And given the fact that, you know, we've, we're aware of, of THC and CBD and um, CBG and CBN and THCV, there's a, a handful of cannabinoids that are already well enough understood that we kind of know what they do. And we can see their, their value for medicine. But the plant makes over 100 other cannabinoids that we haven't even yet characterized enough to know what they do. But if you look at the fact that the ones that have been identified, each one of them has its own unique constellation of effects. And some of them overlap, but each one, there aren't any that are just the same in terms of their effects with each other. And, and that tells us that these other 100 that are out there, 100 plus, as people do their do this special breeding and develop, uh, varieties that will express those in, in great combinations and with special terpenes and so on, there's a literally unlimited number of medicines that we can bring to the world. And we know that, especially the people in your audience that really have a, a, a long-term and special relationship with the plant, um, we know that that is the future of medicine, especially when you when you couple that with the personalized medicine of being able to understand your own your own genotype and then the genotype of the plant that you might be using. And we're going to see, I I truly believe that the future of medicine lies in this plant. And how does that come to the world? It comes from the great work of plant breeders who care enough and have the right intuition, the right art, the right science to be able to develop great new varieties. And then we're here to help them make it so that it really is safe to put it out there all over the world and not lose control of it. Uh, so um, that's – I hope you can tell how excited I am about this. It, it's something I've become extremely passionate about. I think it is going to change the world, and it's going to make – it's going to give a lot of independent plant breeders that have been just getting by for a long time and haven't really had a seat at the table. It's going to give them an opportunity to focus on what they do best and what they love most and be able to to support themselves and continue following their passion. So it's 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 – just the most important thing I could be doing, and I'm thrilled to be doing it. Here, here, give thanks for that. I, I think it's very righteous. It's, it's, it's a, it's a perfect compliment to a space. And a lot of people sit on things because they're, they're, they're being cannabis people for so long. The social, negative social stigma was hard to really open up. This is a very recent thing. We've been on the radio since 2015, and that feels like a lifetime in cannabis years, right? Uh, every year things change so <laughs> yeah. much. Every month 
things change, um, policy change, taxes change, people go out of, right now we're seeing a, an extinction event in California as a result of, of market pressures over taxation and, and, and just in a patchwork of, of local fiefdoms and county regulations. It's just a challenging space right now. Uh, we're still feeling in many ways this is an industry still in its infancy and uh, there's, there's, Unfortunately, some hopelessness sometimes because it's so daunting and it's such a challenging market to to navigate. But I, I, any way to protect the plant, any way to protect the people that care for that plant, and of course serve those that need it the most. The patience is the foundation of all of this. We stand on the shoulders of giants, and it was these these advocates in in the Bay Area and across the whole world: the the Jack Herrera's, the Dennis Perones, the Brownie Marys, the Val Corrals. These special people that really took a big risk in a time where they could have gone to prison for 10 years. I, Valerie was looking at 10 years for having a garden in Santa Cruz County. And uh, look at where we are now and look at what we're doing here on the radio. I feel like we've gotten – we scratched the surface. This is a very in-depth call. We should probably do this again, but we're right at the top of the hour. And I don't want to – I don't want to get cut off before you have the last word. And so, again, Dale, thank you so much. I would love for you to just kind of sum it up here in the next um, 90 seconds before we get booted off and, and tell the people how to continue to engage with your work, how to educate themselves. And um, once again, thank you so much for everything you're doing. And we'll do this again sometime if you ever have a big news item or an update for the community please let me know we're we're in full solidarity with your work and and give thanks thank you so much i i appreciate the opportunity to talk about this and to i i appreciate the audience i i hope that they will feel um some hope about their opportunity the opportunity to take what they've worked on and what they care about and what they think will help people and have an avenue to put it out there and to have it raise some funds that will help them continue to do what they what they care about doing. So, yeah, go look at uh, the blogplantlaw.com and see if, if it answers the questions you have. If there's a question that it doesn't answer, um, email me. I'd love to get an email from anybody as, it, uh, about what else I could blog about. Um, probably the easiest email is my first initial and last name, dhunt at breedersbest.com. That one will get to me. And um, I'd love to hear from you. And, of course, we'd love to have you submit your variety for our team to consider. Um, and that's on the, on the website. It should be pretty easy to navigate to that. If you are looking for an opportunity to grow something special, uh, please let us know that. And um, uh, we will love to uh, get our catalog to you as soon as we have it put together. It's going to be in electronic form. It, it should be really beautiful and, and make it clear what, we have to offer so um i would love to hear from your audience and and thanks again for the thank you and stay